Hello, and welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss the future of the beauty and wellness industries with the people who know them best. I'm your host, Priya Rao, beauty editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Michael Bumgarner, the founder and CEO of CBD beauty brand, Kanuka. In this episode, we talk to Michael about how a background in farming led him to starting a CBD brand, why a false DTC start helped him rediscover retail, and how retailers serve as brand influencers in a murky online ad space. Hope you enjoy the episode. Today on the Glossy Beauty Podcast, we have Michael Bumgardner, the founder of Kanuka. Welcome, Michael. Welcome. Happy to be here. So, Michael, tell us a little bit about um, your origins in the beauty world. Were you an average, an avid beauty consumer, or were you someone on the outside? I was very much on the outside. I have a uh, farming background, so growing up, um, uh, keeping care of your skin was probably not as a, a top priority as it should have been. I had one bar of soap and some body wash, and that basically was the extent of it. So when you think about being a male consumer and uh, a male shopper in this space, knowing that you weren't you know, surrounded by makeup, surrounded by skincare, why did you want to start Kanoka? Uh, multiple reasons. Um, because of my background uh, in farming, I actually got really interested in industrial hemp from the beginning. As most people are starting to realize, CBD is a byproduct of industrial hemp, and I wanted to create a brand that was very much approachable to the can of curious consumer. Um, very fortunate that my wife happens to be in dermatology, so I was able to learn from her very quickly that uh, 99% of skin issues are a form of inflammation, whether you're talking dry skin, acne, rosacea, eczema, you know, ultimately the root cause is a form of inflammation. We were able to very quickly test that CBD applied topically decreases that inflammation. Um, and at the same time, we were just looking at the landscape of the cannabis industry. We saw a big gap uh, in products being developed specifically for that can of curious consumer. Um, so we just looked at it as an opportunity to reintroduce cannabis in a different way to a new consumer, kind of re-educate them what cannabis is and what it's not. And ultimately, uh, because of that farming background, I really see this opportunity to put a lot of rural America back to work. So if we can do our job and in increase demand by getting more people to use Kanuka, um, you know, I, we, we really see an opportunity to uh, help a lot of families out there. So, Michael, you soft launched Kanuka in um, summer of 2017, correct? Correct. It was actually October. October of 2017, and then full-on launched last summer. What were you seeing from a cannabis point of view? Because right now we're at a very intense, um, what some would say, saturation point. I would agree with that. There's a lot of uh, competition, great competition, a lot of great brands coming up right now. Uh, but when we launched, we actually launched, kind of soft launched with a direct consumer strategy. About a month into launch, we got shut down by Facebook. We got shut down by Instagram. We got shut down by our merchant account. Uh, so we had to pivot very quickly into another strategy. Now, just imagine, I'm um, just excited. I'm a, you know, I raised some capital with some investors. I have a board that I report to. And a month into launch, I go to them and say, so about that uh, direct-to-consumer strategy, we're going to have to pivot. So that was a tough conversation. Having said that, um, we really pivoted in a big way to, uh, to target um, you know, wholesale retailers, specifically how do we get into um, large retailers like Neiman Marcus and Free People and Alta and there's so many more. Uh, and that's really when we slowed down our approach, recalibrated, uh, sharpened our pencil and really wanted to relaunched the brand June of 2018 at an event called Founder Made. And that's where we really got in front of the buyers, were able to explain our story, 
and, um, and ultimately meet a lot of great people and develop relationships um, to ultimately allow us to launch in some of those national brands. So, Michael, when you were thinking about what you were doing with Kanuka in October 2017, between then and June 2018, that DTC strategy is what a lot of cannabis brands and CBD brands are doing now. Why wasn't that working for you? Like, talk to us a little bit more about that Facebook, Instagram, Google challenges that you were facing. Yeah, I think it really comes down to... Um, your team and really focusing on your strengths. Um, at the at that point in time, I raised a seed round and we developed a really dynamic team that was able to really elevate our brand and really get the ball rolling. But we didn't have anyone on our team with a lot of experience in the direct-to-consumer space. So a lot of the decision was uh, we had to really understand what our strengths and weaknesses were and then focus on our strengths until we get to an, uh, a situation where we can either raise more capital or we're, in, we're generating enough revenue to then bring on additional experts like a direct-to-consumer team. When you think about those challenges that, you know, a lot of these brands are facing, whether it's Lord Jones or Bebo or St. Jane, you know, they largely feel like federal regulations are going to, you know, ease up and that there will be this opportunity to get around the digital advertising that they're currently limited to. That seems like that wasn't your approach. Why? Well, again, I, I actually agree 100 percent with uh, with those statements. And ultimately, I'm, you know, we're investing a lot right now on on. Uh, on that strategy and the second those regulations do uh, ease up to take advantage of it. Um, at the time, we just didn't have the capacity to invest in the right people to bring on our team to then really focus on uh, the direct consumer. Um, but we've been very fortunate to develop relationships. I'm a big relationship person. Um, I just got my first Instagram page this year because I was kind of forced to, but it's because I like to develop one-on-one -on -one relationships. So when I get an opportunity to meet the buyers and get in front of them, I mean, that's what I, that's what wakes me up, uh, every morning and gets me excited about going into work with Kanuka because I can develop these relationships. And ultimately, uh, it was a different approach to the direct consumer. We didn't have the capital at the time to really invest in our own team. However, I actually look at our national retail partners as our influencers. So I know if we, if we could um, be fortunate enough to develop these partnerships, ultimately, they would become our influencers and get a lot of PR and a lot of exposure for Kanuka, which would ultimately drive traffic to our website. So it's just a different approach on ultimately how do we get people to our website and learn more about us. So when you started with retail, talk to us a little bit about those independent retailers that you start, first started working with. And then obviously the big news, which was Ulta earlier this year. Um, it's been it's been fantastic to learn from each of the different types of retailers, from the independent mom and pop to the regional to then, you know, the Neiman Marcuses of the world and then to the, you know, 1200 door Alta. Each one of them has different uh, concerns and different challenges that we have to overcome. But ultimately, for all of them, we as a as a brand needed to make the decision to work with us as uh, easy as possible. So what we focused on as a team is I'm really big on this with my team. It's let's focus on what we can control. We can control who's manufacturing our, prop, our, our products. We can, we can control our infrastructure, our 3PL that we work with. So uh, that the first six months after we really transitioned from direct consumer to really focusing on the retail, we developed the right uh, manufacturing partnerships that would allow us to scale when we got the call from the national retailer. We focused on uh, developing the right 3PL partnerships that, has a, that have a really good understanding of all right, when you get a PO from Free People or Urban Outfitters or Anthropology, 
they need to receive that product in a very specific way. So, so we ultimately wanted to make that decision to work with us as easy as possible, as well as being very fortunate that we have our own general counsel and we immediately connect our legal with you know the group in front of us legal to really answer and be as transparent as possible on what we can do, what we can't do. And ultimately we want to be a great uh, partner long-term. So we're very just transparent about everything. And when we can make something work, we do. And if we have to push it off a little bit, um, we'll stay in touch and they'll definitely get 20 emails from me in the meantime. So, <laughs> so Michael, when you think about those retail partnerships, you know, some of these retailers have very um, big retail presences like Ulta, like Free People, Anthropology. How do you kind of get those retailers and those buyers to, you know, take a risk because, you know, cannabis still is not legal on the federal level. I think that's becoming easier because you can't pick up a newspaper or jump online and see and not see an article on CBD. So I see, I think uh, it was easier for some of the smaller independent retailers to make that decision because they don't have all of the, um, um, possibly the requirements that some of the larger scale um, retailers do. But ultimately, um, you just have to put yourself in a position to answer the questions that they want to they want to know, you know, the legalities of it, and then just be prepared to scale when they say they're ready. So there were no kind of obvious risks from the get. There's definitely risks on their end, and their risks are pretty much the same. What are the legalities of, you know, industrial hemp-derived CBD? I think the 2018 Farm Bill really uh, eased that up. So they... The only, I would say there's probably two national retailers that took us before the 2018 Farm Bill, Neiman Marcus, and I believe it was Free People. Um, but the second the 2018 Farm Bill passed, floodgates open, and it became a lot more easy to uh, to work with us. So when you go, went into Ulta earlier this year, it was in March, I believe, what kind of brand awareness that really give you, because it was such a huge uh, footprint in retail doors? Ulta was, has been a game changer. And, and not only on the number of doors and the opportunity um, to really build your business, but as partners. Um, they have, we could not have asked for a better partner to scale. I mean, think we went from 250 doors to almost 1,500 doors overnight. And I'm the, I would say, the sell-in person where I'm like, yeah, let's, let's do this. Just thinking about, oh, yeah, we can do this. And it's been a learning curve to understand the sell-through process and really what it takes to support a 1200 door rollout. And we've been very fortunate that the team that we work with of Alta has been very hands-on. They've uh, really uh, educated us on the step-by-step process. And then when we make mistakes, like, you know, everyone does, they've been great about saying, all right, here's what you did. Here's how you do it moving forward. And it's been great partners all around, all around. But in regards to brand awareness, like I said, you know, I look at our national retailers as our influencer, and we couldn't ask for a, a better influencer as Alta with that national exposure. It really, um, I would say, put Kanuka on the map as one of the leaders in this CBD beauty uh, category. Um, and we're just very grateful, and we just want to make sure we support that partnership, to, you know, so they see as much value from us as we see from them. You know, Alta was really the first beauty retailer to kind of take this leap with you. Mm-hmm. What do you think you're doing for the category as it continues to grow? Because there are so many entrants in the space now that are saying cannabis, saying CBD, and it's not the real thing. You know, ultimately, one of my goals for when I launched Kanuka was how do we kind of re-educate people what cannabis is and what it's not. I look at Kanuka as like the tip of the spear. We're a very easy product to experience. You know, I I live by this kind of crawl, walk, run approach. And with Kanuka specifically as a brand, if I can introduce people to cannabis topically and I can put a product on their skin and they see a, a benefit from them or from the product, 
it's going to be a lot easier to then introduce maybe a transdermal. Uh, and that would be kind of our, our walk approach. And we are working on Kanuka Wellness, which is more uh, a transdermal line that focuses on the wellness, I would say, uh, the sleep, the anxiety, some pain relief. And then I would say the the run for Kanuka would be an ingestible. We're not there with ingestible. I think a lot of the muddy and fogginess in the whole CBD category, uh, a lot of it is on the ingestible side, not topical side. So again, ultimately, I, I needed I need to get a product to market in a big way, scale it nationally and then globally for me to hit my ultimate goal, which is increased demand for this product so I can create opportunities for, you know, rural America and then throughout the vertical. When you think about who that kind of curious customer is, who did you think she is and who is she actually now? Oh, I knew exactly who that person was <laughs> when I when I launched the brand because was, I was married to her. Her name was Kelly. Um, <laughs> think about this. When I first told her I was... I was like, hey, I'm going to, I want to get into this cannabis space. She looked, we just got married. She looked at me like, you're going to start selling drugs. This is what I married into. So I knew exactly who that can of curious person was. Cause I, I knew if I could, if I could change Kelly's mind on what cannabis is and what it's not, then, you know, then there's a big opportunity at that. And there's a lot of people like Kelly that are interested in uh, wellness and interested in eating healthy and interested in what they put in and on their body and on their kids you know, body and, and their kids. So ultimately I was very fortunate that I had that person living with me and was able to really learn from her some of the skin applications of CBD uh, and how to make it more approachable with, you know, what makes Kanuka Kanuka is Manuka honey. You know, we have a very, you know, we are definitely not just a CBD line. We are a CBD and Manuka honey line. That combination is special. It decreases inflammation and heals and hydrates. Uh, but ultimately what makes our brand approachable is that honey is the Manuka honey. We did, we're not just a CBD line. So whether, you know, um, someone who may have been turned off by just a CBD or just a cannabis line, the ability to talk about the Manuka honey and make our packaging more approachable and, you know, the aesthetics and all the different experiences from the scent to the overall experience, um, we knew, you know, we were onto something ultimately because we really tried to crawl, walk, run in every aspect of this and really just develop a brand ultimately around that can of curious person because... Uh, it's a big market out there, uh, underserved market. You are going into wellness and also into men's, I believe, in, at the end of this year. From the product point of view, do you want to be a brand through and through when other brands are kind of dabbling in the space? I think it really depends on the brand and the brand ethos. Uh, what I love about what we're doing with Kanuka, Kanuka is the combination of cannabis and Manuka honey. Cannabis can be a byproduct of cannabis is hemp seed oil. A byproduct of is, a, is CBD. There's a lot of other terpenes and there's a lot of other cannabinoids coming out that are more and more research. Um, so for us, it makes sense that, you know, to keep true with our brand ethos to always have a byproduct of cannabis and Manuka honey, as long as they're effective. Uh, but do I believe a brand has to be one or the other? Absolutely not. I think ultimately the market tells us what people want. So if you listen to the markets and create a product that serves a need, ultimately that, that will win. And then as long as, and also you stay true to your, you know, brand ethos and you are who you are, but that's my roundabout answer on that question. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael, when you think about growth, you know, obviously the retail expansion has been huge as well as these kind of tangential other categories. How is Kanuka tracking? What can you tell us here in this last year and a half? We're in a very, very fortunate position that we, we are having some rapid growth. Um, you know, last year from 2018 to 2019, we should see a 
you know, a, a 15X in, in total revenue. Uh, and a lot of that's due to the being very fortunate to lock up Alta and some of these national retailers because we've seen zero dollars this year come from our e-commerce so far. We were sold out for the first uh, five months due to the uh, preparing for Alta. And then along with many, many other CBD companies also have challenges just in merchant accounts and being able to accept credit card. But um, even without the e-commerce, we're on track to be about 15 times revenue from year to year. So when you think about e-commerce and knowing these challenges, are you, you know, are you being bullish about that? Are you trying to get around those payment processors who are, you know, obviously not willing to dabble in cannabis yet? I am big on always just focusing on what we can control. I have about 10 applications out at all times on new processors, always just trying to see what the best terms are. Um, but am, am I trying to create a situation where we have to do some like back channeling to ultimately get online? No, I don't think that's the right play. And I don't think that ultimately is what's going to re uh, destigmatize the the market. So we do everything uh, very much by the books, but we're very aggressive in, in staying on top of who we're reaching out to and constantly calling and you know, getting updates and and uh, and things of that nature. So again, controlling what we can control, being aggressive as we can be, uh, but also we have to destigmatize the category for the long term. When you think about you know adding additional retailers or adding you know additional footprints, is that something that you're focused on, or are you really kind of doubling down on Alta right now? I'm not sure what percentage of the business that's driving right now, but I imagine a lot. Yeah, Alta is uh, definitely driving the vast majority of our revenue. I would say the key thing with all of our partners, whether it's independent or Alta, we want to support our partners, our current partners. Uh, and if we can support while also expanding and not, and not losing track of the opportunities that got us to this point, then we're definitely looking to expand. Uh, but we definitely want to make sure we are very good partners for our current retail partners and make sure we can support future growth with new retailers. So when you think about men's and obviously wellness, are those are we going to see those in current retail doors, or is this something that you think you could you know play in different channels or, or different um, strategic partners? Um, a little bit of both. I think there are some channels that we currently work with that uh, are wide open, and, and the men's category is growing pretty rapidly within their doors. Other channels, um, it just might not be the right play. So it'd be on an individual basis. We'll figure out where exactly we'll launch that. Um, and, but we will definitely utilize that to uh, develop new strategic partners with potential retailers that are just more, you know, male focused as well. There's so much uh, confusion and there's also a lot of practicality that kind of exists for that customer. You were talking about yourself just a second ago, you know, having that one bar of soap. What is the right assortment for that customer versus, you know, kind of the millions of SKUs that women kind of deal with on a daily basis? I would hope it's easier on us <laughs> because you do, you do have to experience and you have to, you have, you have so many options for men. I honestly just think, I feel like all consumers are just getting more educated on what they're putting in and on their body. Number one, for me coming, growing up, truly probably using two products ever, a lotion and a soap for everything. Um, it's funny. Um, my transition, I mean, I go to bed now and my wife looks at me and she's like, you look like a mannequin. <laughs> and it's because I have my CBD healing skin balm on my face. And I'm like, well, I'm digging it. But I ultimately think, um, I think we, as long as we listen to the consumers, I think with any brand, any any category, you have to listen to who you, th you believe your target audience is. And ultimately, they'll tell you what they want. And then as long as you listen and create an effective product, you, know, you should have some success. 
Talk to us a little bit about that listing because, you know, there's so much, you know, data collection points that uh, brands have today, whether it's e-commerce sites Mm -hmm. or social media. Where are you kind of gauging and um, getting that information from your customer? And what are you listening to? Yeah, beauty industry experts. So um, I'll take you back memory lane for a second. But before I launched the product, I had a a different brand, same ingredients. I just was a different name. And coming from farming, I knew nothing about beauty. I mean, my wife's in dermatology. She understands the efficacy and like what works and what doesn't, but it's a different industry, dermatology office versus big beauty. So what I did for six months is literally flew around the country and met with beauty buyers after I had a, you know, a product to show them. And I would go into these meetings and say, I'm not trying to sell you today. I want you to rip me apart. Tell me everything that's wrong with this brand, with my product. And, and every single meeting, I'm, I'm not just saying this, they told me no one's ever asked them to do this. And they opened up their playbook and listed off, like told me, use this ingredient instead of that. Gave me some advice on different branding techniques, et cetera. After six month period, I really was confident that we were onto something. I listened. They're the experts and and executed their, you know, the, the advice that they gave me. And we take the same approach on our product development right now. We, we talk to the buyers. We talk to you know, just different industry experts from, you know, that we've been able to meet. And honestly, we just listen and then ultimately create the product. We always do a round of, you know, product testing. So we get it into, you know, a few hundred people's hands just to get feedback so we can improve. Uh, Now we're actually getting it into thousands of people's hands because we have a men's preview that we're talking about now. We have a wellness preview. We have 10,000 units. We're just previewing to get it out there, get feedback, because feedback, constructive feedback is the only way you can improve in anything. And and that's what we, you know, that's part of our brand ethos. So we just try to get product out there, listen, make edits, and then go to market in a big way. When you think about who your customer is now um, and where he or she is coming from, talk to us a little bit about those markets. You know, is it New York and California, like a lot of people would assume, or is it middle America? It's so interesting. It, I really love this question uh, because it's one of my goals in 2019 to figure out that specific answer. And I say that because we're sitting on Neiman Marcus shelves. We're sitting on Free People, Urban Outfitters Anthropology shelves. We're sitting on Altus shelves. We're sitting on Riley Rose shelves. That's a different buyer in every one of these. And we are selling through each one of these. Um, we're very fortunate for that to happen. And I, and it's one of the reasons why I'm excited for our website to get rolling again is actually to collect this data to really, you know, ultimately, you know, we might have success and all, but ultimately with every brand, you do have one persona that, that takes up the majority of your sales. So, um, again, I think that's probably a roundabout answer to your question. Um, we're fortunate to be selling it to, in my opinion, to three different personas, but I do think this year, by the end of the year, we'll, we'll have a really narrowed in. It's, Here's persona one, two, and three. So right now there isn't like a clear indicator of it's, you know, Montana or Texas or Minnesota. No. And it's because Alta has so many doors, middle America. I really think that's what makes my, you know, Alta uh, special is that they really have a lot of doors in middle America. So we are seeing sales all across the country. We see spikes in, um, you know, especially with Riley Rose. We see spikes with Riley Rose on the West Coast, but that's because they're, they have 15 doors on the West Coast. Yeah. So we're, it's a learning year. <laughs> when you think about um, what's next, you know, you mentioned at the top of this conversation, global was uh, within reach. What are you thinking about there? Yeah, I, I, I see uh, very quickly we'll expand into the UK, Q4. And then ultimately, um, you know, I'd love to get into New Zealand, Australia, and especially New Zealand with the Manuka Honey uh, play in our strategic farming partner there. Um, and then we have plans to um, to start conversations on 
uh, entering Asia as well. Do you have partners yet you can share with us? We do not have partners we can share, but we have several um, several partners pretty far along. And the second we uh, we lock those up, you will be the first person, I tell. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> you know, I have to ask you, when you think about this kind of race to the finish when with a lot of brands experience in beauty, do you feel that at all within CBD and cannabis? You know, that being first, being kind of having the first large national retail presence to kind of keep up that momentum? And how do you kind of do that? Um I definitely want to keep that the, the momentum. Um, that's because I'm I'm a very competitive person. So it's like we're getting opportunities. So why not continue to, to really ramp this up? Um, but again, I think everything comes down to for us. We really focus on just what we can control. There's a lot of really great CBD beauty brands popping up. There's a lot of brands in general popping up. But I do look at the CBD and cannabis uh, category in general as wide open. Um, there can be a lot of really big winners in the long run. Um, and that's why I, we do not as a, as a company get too focused on what our, com, you know, uh, potential competitors are doing. We really just narrowly stay focused on Kanuka, improving our infrastructure, making sure we're great partners. Cause ultimately if we can just make sure we're the best partner that we can be and we execute on what we say we're going to execute, we should see success long-term. When you think about Kanuka, um, obviously the competitors that you just mentioned, you know, within the CBD and cannabis space, but what about the larger beauty landscape? Because you're not just competing against, you know, Bebo or Lord Jones. You're competing against Estee Lauder and L'Oreal. Well, and I think that's exactly why out of the gates uh, I wanted to focus on before we launched a brand, what was going to be our differentiator? What was going to give us legs long term? Uh, and we were very fortunate um, to find Manuka Honey. That was our big light bulb moment because I do see a lot of these uh, really conglomerates, these brands that have been around for decades uh, utilizing CBD as an ingredient in their current portfolio, as they should, because it's a great ingredient. So why not? So ultimately, um, I do believe the combination of CBD, cannabis, and Manuka honey specifically is going to give us um, an advantage and a pretty strong differentiator long term. When you think about what um, you have to do to kind of succeed in that landscape, what are you doing from the marketing point of view? Because, you know, obviously retail is a huge part of that, but, you know, events, influencers, what's your take? Well, I would say our take is um, being very fortunate to get on amazing podcasts like Glossy, <laughs> um, but also, you know, just being good partners. And, you know, we're very fortunate that our national retailers do a lot of PR, a lot of press. Buying advertisement is very expensive. And, you know, we're a year and a half into this. So we've got to be very uh, strategic about where we deploy our money. Do I uh, buy another million units or do I spend that same money on a weekend ad. I'm going units all day long. Uh, so it's very uh, important that we, as a, as a company, continue to develop great relationships, which is something I love to do. So when we get an opportunity to be on, seriously, an amazing podcast like this, we can jump on it, continue to share our story. And at the same time, we've been fortunate that our retail partners also are telling our story. And I think a lot of that's because our brand ethos is to be honest, transparent, a good partner. And I do believe people want to work with people, you know, they like and they trust. And I how we work. So uh, as long as we keep focused on that, hopefully we'll continue to be lucky and get these opportunities. Michael, when you think about influencers, I guess, specifically, you know, that's a big play for beauty brands, personal care brands across the board. Um, and, you know, you are only a year and a half into this game. How do you feel about, you know, that kind of necessary pay for play or necessary spend, especially when you said just a second ago, 
you want to buy those 1 million units. Yeah, it's challenging. I've, I've had, uh, I've worked with some influencers that have done amazing things and I've worked with some influencers that it's not, you've not seen that ROI. Ultimately, um, I look, Kanuka specifically, our influencers are our retail partners. Uh, we let them tell our story. Or we're fortunate that they tell our story for us because, you know, these brands, you know, the Altas, the free people, I mean, they they themselves are an influencer. People are going to them for advice. They go in, you know, I've learned so much. Three years ago, if you would ask me if I'd be on Glossy talking beauty, I would, I would laugh maybe four years ago because that's right when I was getting into it. <laughs> um, but now I'm learning about... Um, the consumer and what interests them. And they go into Alton, they want to be educated. Like it's, it's such a big deal. Um, so we're fortunate that truly the retail partners are our influencers at this moment. And you feel like they're doing the right education for you? 100% without a doubt. Perfect. Thank you so much, Michael. It's great having you. you. You as well. I appreciate the opportunity. Before I let you go, last year was the highest number of school shootings on record. As kids across the country head back to school, we must protect them and teach them how to stop violence before it happens. Sandy Hook Promise is planning a new back to school PSA to show parents, kids, and educators the importance of knowing the signs of gun violence. And we're looking for media donations to help us spread this message. Please visit sandyhookpromise.org media to get involved and help us protect children from violence in schools. Thank you for listening. 